weird time of the year. We're starting today, it feels like it gets dark at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you have little kids tonight when you go home, like 5.45, round the kids up and say, it's bedtime. Like, seriously, pajamas on, brush your teeth. Mommy, I don't feel tired. No, it's 9.30, sweetheart. Would mommy and daddy lie to you? Never, right? Like, use that to your advantage, right? But it's, it's that time of year. It's the season we're in. As of today, 51 days until Christmas. 51 days. That is crazy. That means we're also gearing up for Black Friday shopping. Yeah, that day where we go out and we trample other shoppers for bargains, Literally hours after sitting around the table thanking God for everything we already have. America, right? Hallmark Christmas movies are in full effect. Bunch of freaks. No, I'm teasing. Yet year after year we watch them and we act surprised that Susan fell in love again with the small town baker who only wears sweaters. She didn't choose the big city CEO. It's that time of year. It's a season. And for me, uh, personally, it's uh, a season for me that's a season of appointments. Because as you get older, in three years, I'll be 50. Like, I just, ugh, it's hard to even say that, a little gag reflux. Almost 50. And so this is that time of year where I've got to be more intentional to maintain all of this. And so the doctor with the annual physical and the blood work, the eye exam, uh, a few other over 40 experiences that aren't as fun. And then finally, the appointment that I dread the most, the dentist. Anybody with me on this? Nothing against you dental people. I love you, but I just it, anxiety rides all over me going to the dentist. And still to this day, the morning of my appointment, I will stand in front of the bathroom mirror for like a half hour, intensely scrubbing and scraping and flossing with rope and chain, convinced that I can somehow undo like days and months of poor dental hygiene practice. Anybody do that? Like, oh, this will take care of it. So I show up there, my gums are swollen, the hygienist comes in, and I feel like before she does anything, I need to go, ma'am, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I need to apologize. She's got a good attitude, she throws her, you know, hazmat suit on, I got the big welder's mask, and she's going at it, you know, chipping, and scraping, and flossing, and all that kind of stuff. She's got the, the mirror jammed in there, I'm licking the mirror, trying to have a conversation. Does a great job, and then the dentist comes in, hey, what's up, buddy, let's see what's we got going on in here, right? And so... He takes a peek in there, and he gets that big tongue depressor, and he's like, I need you to open up and say, uh. I'm like, ah, like Chewbacca there in the chair. And uh, in that moment, though, what's he doing? He's, he's diagnosing me, right? Like he's, he's looking inside my mouth. He's searching for things like gum disease, cavities, anything that shouldn't be there. And if he sees something abnormal, he's like, whoa, whoa, time out. That right there, that should not be. And that's exactly what we read in the book of James in the New Testament. This amazing little book in chapter 3, verse 10. There's a verse. We're going to kind of camp out in this verse a little bit this weekend. And James is saying the same thing. Look what he says here. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And Right here, like a skillful physician, James is trying to diagnose the dichotomy of words that are coming out of the same mouth. He's saying, friends, there's this crazy wackadoodle thing going on that out of the same mouth come words of praise and moments later words of profanity. All out of the same mouth. It's weird. Out of the same mouth come words that bless and later on that night words that bite. On Monday, words that build someone up and on Tuesday morning, words that just rip somebody apart. All from the same mouth. And I don't know about you, but I get it. 
my wife Tara and I and our kids, this is our home church. Union Campus is home for us. This is our family. We serve here. And there's Sunday mornings where we're trying to get here and we can never get here on time. It wouldn't matter if we got up like 4.30 in the morning. We're going to be late coming in on two wheels. Anybody like you just can't get there. And so this would be what our house would sometimes sound like trying to get out the door. You're 15-year-old. How do you lose your pants? How, how, they were right on the chair. Oh, how, I can't believe you lost your pants. Well, then don't brush your teeth. Go there with sewer breath and kill people and have no friends. It's a Pop-Tart. Ram it down your throat and chew and get in the car. And the whole time here, man, we're just going at it. Two minutes later, I'm standing in here with my hands in the air, singing, and I ran out of that grave. Jesus, out of the darkness, gonna punch my kid in the face. Right, like... All out of the same mouth. How does this happen? Our words are powerful. And that's why this series we're in the midst of is so important. Because the tongue, I was thinking about it this week. Man, it's basically a power tool that we all own. Now, my wife will be the first to tell you that we have power tools in our garage. They're really just for decoration. Like, I don't... (laughs) We give a lot of companies a lot of business, but I brought this just because it it looks pretty cool to hold in my hand. But when I think about the tongue, I think about this. I think about this drill. Because when you think about this drill, this power tool, it it can build, it can fix, uh, it can repair, it can strengthen something. But man, it can also rip stuff apart. And it can destroy. And it can fill things full of holes. And it's weird because it's the same tool But it really depends on the decisions or the choices of the owner or the user. And that's what we're getting at in this series when we talk about the mouth. We're trying to gain control of what's actually the most powerful, strongest muscle in our body. It's actually this little three-inch muscle mass called the tongue. And whether you ever exercise or not, even if you're the biggest couch potato in the world, this is a muscle that we flex and we work out incredibly often. I did a little research this past uh, week, and I learned that the average male speaks about 20,000 words a day, on average. I then kept reading and learned that the average female speaks about 30,000 words a day. Now, don't get mad. I'm just sharing the research, okay? (laughs) Now, I did share this with my wife, Tara, in preparation for this message, and I was ready for a little rumble, little fist up. Her response surprised me. She said, you know what? Sounds pretty accurate to me. And I was like, well, absolutely. And then she continued. She said, I'll tell you why it's an accurate stat. I think it's accurate because all of our wives have to explain everything to our husbands two to three times before they get it through their thick skull, you big morons. I said, Tara, words. Words. (laughs) But our words are powerful. And the Bible says that words directed at people can bring life or they can bring death. If you missed last weekend... Catch the message online. Darren Morani, aren't we blessed to have him as our teaching pastor? He's like, off the charts, awesome. He brought an amazing message last week. Catch it online. Because in that message, he, he brought us right up close and personal, this great verse in Proverbs 18, 21. Look what it says. It says, here's a drill about words. Words kill. Words can also give life. They're either poison or fruit. And here's the kicker. You're going to choose. You choose. It reminds us that every word you speak, you're responsible for it. No one makes you say those words. You're not forced to say them. We have a choice. So if you know me very well, I'm not going to impress you with my academia. I am a KISS method, keep it simple, stupid kind of guy. I like to 
drill down and get to the nitty-gritty and get very practical. And so I'm going to lay out some foundation from the get-go this morning that we're going to build on while we're together. And it's this truth. I think this is where it all comes down to. And that is if you want to change the life you have, you've got to change the words you speak. If you really want to start changing the life you have, change the words you speak. Now, I look at that and I go, that's great. That's hard. <laughs> because the reality is this muscle, the tongue, is powerful. And it's pretty tough to get a rein on it and bring it under control. Because, again, look what James said in James 3.10. He says, out of that same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. If you've not read the book of James in the New Testament, it's a little tiny book. Read it today. It's like a, what my grandpa would call like a one or two sitter. I mean, you can get through it like that. But, but get into it because you're going to see really quick out of the gate as you read it. These people James is writing this letter to, they must have had major struggles with just launching damaging words left and right. Because it's a repeated theme all throughout the letter. Let's peek into just a few verses from a few chapters here. Beginning in James 1.19, he pleads with the people. He says, look, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's easy, isn't it? <laughs> Flip over a few more verses in James 1.26, he kind of throws out this warning. He says, listen, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion, by the way, it's worthless. He then asks this question in James 4.1, what, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then finally, verse 11, he urges them saying, brothers and sisters, listen, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them, speaks against the law, and judges it. So in James 3, it's as if James is loud and clear with a megaphone saying, I need you to open your mouth and say, right? Let's take a moment and see what the tongue tells us about you. What does your tongue say about your character? What's it say about the condition of your soul? Because words matter. We're starting to see this theme in Scripture that there's a direct highway from the heart to the mouth. The 24-7, really what's going on is the heart is informing the mouth. And so whatever's going on right now on the inside, pretty soon that same thing's going to be going on on the outside. And so if we drill down together, the series really is not as much about the mouth as it is surrendering ourselves before God to kind of a spiritual MRI and inviting Him to kind of go under the hood for a moment uh, in our lives. I learned this week that the average American has about 30 conversations a day. And so what that means is you're going to spend about 20%, about one-fifth of your life just talking and being in conversation. That's, that's a lot of time. And now think about it. Because of technology and social media, think how things have changed now with all the different ways we use words. It goes way beyond just physical, verbal conversations. Now because of technology and social media, we tweet, we Skype, we text, we post, we, we email... And so the question really becomes, what do your words say about what's on the inside? Let me throw it out another way. We know that all those words that you speak throughout the week and throughout a year, that at the end of the year would add up to about 66 books, each of those books being about 800 pages in length of just your words. And so knowing that's the case, what if we took one of your books off the shelf from the last couple weeks that contained all of your conversations, your text, your post on social media, and we just started reading it. What would it say about you? Would it be a good read? 
Or would it be like a dollar bin kind of read at Big Lots? What are your words projecting about your heart? James, man, he's trying to get our attention. He's saying, listen, God's a great physician. Take a moment and let him do a spiritual MRI of the tongue. I like how James puts it in perspective for us in chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Look what he says here. He says, let me, let me say it this way. He said, we, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. And we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. James says, we got three players in this passage here. They're small, but they're mighty and powerful. We got a bit, a rudder, and a spark. He says, let's talk about that bit for a moment. He said, it is uncanny how we can take this little four-inch piece of metal and put it in the mouth of a horse and sit back and direct this powerful thoroughbred wherever we want him to go. It's crazy. He said, or it's uncanny how this captain of this massive cruise ship or this giant vessel can stand behind a wheel and guide this little rudder and put that ship in any direction he wants it to go across the seas. It's weird. He said, it's crazy how this little spark could, could fall on, a, on the ground and in hours literally devastate and take out thousands of acres and do all kinds of damage. He says, and the tongue is equally sinister and powerful and small. And it can do damage and take out the souls of people left and right that Jesus died for and that he values greatly. Out of the same mouth, life-taking words or life-giving words. For example, you show me a marriage that's struggling, that's falling apart. I guarantee if you peek in there and do some exploring, you're going to quickly find a plethora of life-taking words. On the other hand, you find a marriage that's healthy and growing and that couple seems connected and thriving. I guarantee you look in there and you'll find an abundance of life-giving words. It's really true. If you want to change the life you have, we've got to begin to change the words we speak. They have the power of life and they have the power of death. And so as we hang out for just a few moments this morning, I want to unpack just two really simple truths about the power of life-giving words. The first thing is this, and that is, if you can't say something helpful, skip it. Skip it. And I know that sounds so elementary. People are like, oh, that's brilliant. Durr, right? And I know that that sounds like a mixture of my mom and Mr. Rogers, but it's just true. And Paul nails it here in Ephesians 4.29. Look what Paul says. He says, listen, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul's saying, listen, if what you're about to say is potentially life-taking to someone, shut thy mouth. That's King James Version, right? But here's a challenge. We live in a culture who doesn't give a rip. We could care less. We don't give an ounce of thought about how we use our words. We just let it fly. And yet we're saying all throughout this series that words matter. I was reminded this week of how words matter. I came upon some funny, actual, these are actual church bulletin announcements from around the country that I would call church bulletin bloopers that remind us words matter. Look at this first announcement. This is an actual church bulletin. It says, on Sunday, a special collection will be taken to defray the expense of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the carpet, please come forward to get a piece of paper. Words matter. Slow people, you'll get it in about five minutes. <laughs> 
time change we're like getting, Tammy. <laughs> this next one. A bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church fellowship hall. Music will follow. <laughs> All the immature ones are like, I got that one. I got that one. <laughs> one of my favorites. The low self-esteem support group will meet this Thursday from 7 to 8.30. Please use the back door. <laughs> and my favorite. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> There's some truth to that. <laughs> Words matter. But what do we do? We sound off. We let it fly. We get behind the keyboard. Our phone. Sand. Woo! Let it launch. We're all brave and courageous because we don't have to see people face to face. We let it fly. And we let it go with very little reflection or restraint on the front end. We let the bombs fly. We have very little thought about potential damage on the back end of it. And we just let it go. I mean, is there really anybody in this room today that wakes up every morning going, you know what? Today's going to be a great day. Because there's power in my words. There's power in my words. And you know what? Today I have the opportunity to use them to build other people up. For those of you raising your hand, next week's message literally is on lying. You're going to love it. Come back. It'll really speak to your soul. We don't do that. We just don't give it much thought. We let things go. We let it fly. Careless. I was reminded of this this week. If you've not been living under a rock, you'll know that right here in Boone County, we've been in the midst of a Hatfield and McCoy kind of fight around weather and trick-or-treating. Anybody catch on to this? Oh, my gosh. The north and the south. Like, this is crazy. And I want to introduce this next segment with this title. And just like that, people started losing their minds about when to trick-or-treat. If you've been on social media at all, wow. Pure strangers getting on there who've never met just ripping people apart. You got the parents who are like, my kid's going to get pneumonia. You want to come pay their copay when they're needing to use a nebulizer and they've got a sinus infection? And this guy's like, kids are wimps, man. Why went out six inches of snow? You know, And they're just duking it out. So I spent some time just kind of hanging out on the Boone County Neighborhood Group page on Facebook. If you want to be entertained, hang out there a while. And I started stalking, I mean screenshotting, just different... People's posts. These are actual posts from people that are our neighbors. If you're here, we love you, and I blocked out your face, so don't leave. We're not going to embarrass you. We're all sinners in need of the Lord. But these are actual comments from this week with this big trick-or-treating debate. The first guy, he starts stoking the fire. Here's what he says. It's okay, parents. Even if your kids don't take part in trick-or-treat because of the rain, chances are they'll still receive their participation trophy for whatever sport they play. Oh. Oh. And then his buddy starts adding to this sarcasm sandwich. He goes, yeah, isn't it amazing how a holiday's apparently been reduced to a time for your children to get handouts from strangers? Additionally, interesting that it's such a big point for discussion that it should be changed for convenience or comfort. Either suck it up, buttercup, or don't participate. Freedom at work! <laughs> like a scene from Braveheart or something, man. It's crazy. Well, a few moments later, this guy and this lady start duking it out, and it's I'll be honest, it's kind of entertaining to watch, even though it's so wrong. I feel like I was watching a bad movie I ought to turn off or something. But this guy is, like, getting on this lady because she's wanting it changed, and this is his response to her. He's like, much easier to just exclude your children from the festivities than to alter the other 131,000 Boone County residents' schedule and plans. I'm sure your kids will understand when you explain it to them that it's just not convenient for you to plan an early dinner and have to rush home to be home by 6 p.m. once a year. 
trick-or-treat's optional. Well, then this lady's like, oh, no, you don't. Hair up in a bun, no makeup, steak knife. She's bringing, man. She's like, let me tell you something. I make it every year on time. I got two crock pots of chili ready in advance. I fill goodie bags for all the neighborhood kids labeled with their names and specific to their allergy needs. Oh, and by the way, I have the neighbors to my house that evening. So before you go making ignorant remarks about what you believe I don't do for my kids, you may want to go check yourself. I never said that Halloween needed to change. I simply expressed that the weekend before would be easier. Just like it's easier for you to make ignorant statements when you know zero about me. Finally, there's a lady that just wants to bring peace. And this is, she just... She says, <laughs> she says, she says, listen, rain or shine, baby, the liquor will keep us warm. Drive on down to Erlanger and find the happy parents. <laughs> I'm moving to Erlanger. That's all I'm saying. Wow. So let me remind you, that was over when trick-or-treat should be. People who have never met in front of 20,000 people just launching bombs. That's what we do. If I'm angry, I let it fly. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you more. If we disagree on this, watch out. No boundaries, careless reaction, guns blazing. And Paul says, you need to slow down and shut up. Christians, slow down and shut it. Shut your yapper. Now, as Darren said last week, and I'll say it again, I, I am as guilty as anyone in this room. When we teach on these topics, we do not stand up here and teach from any area of expertise. Preparing these sermons is like a spiritual four-by-four to the face all week long about where I struggle myself. And I can tell you there are some chapters on the shelf of my books that would contain past conversations and posts and responses where I've gossiped, I've ripped people apart, I've been totally cruel and unkind, things that I wish I could just burn in a fire. My youngest, Cameron, who will be 14 in February, when he was little, and still to this day, we call him the rooster in our house. Because he just he's an early bird, which is fine. He loves to get up early. He's down here on the front row. Hi, Cam. I love you, man. I really do. <laughs> he's, why is he leaving? But he's an early riser. That's fine. But when he was little, we had to tell him, listen, Cam, on Saturday mornings, do not come in our room before 7 a.m. You can read your little digital clock, 7-0-0. Don't do it. Don't even think about it. Well, one Saturday morning at 4.57 a.m., Door bust open and jump on the bed. Daddy, daddy, mommy. <laughs> I'm like, and I lose it. What do you want? Can you look at the clock? I did. There's a seven. 457. Oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. So I just go postal on Cam. I'm like, what in the world could be so important that you gotta come in here and wake me and your mom up? You know we're tired. We need rest. What, I mean, what do you need? He hangs his head and he goes. I just want to tell you, I'm five today. Oh, would you shut up? Like, oh, you suck as a dad, right? Like, need therapy. I know, all right? Social services. I get it. That's why I'm telling the story. I don't need you to affirm what a loser I am as a dad. Thanks, union. 
But I know in that moment that, that wounded him. It left some scars. And that's why I agree with what Solomon says here in Proverbs 12, 18. He says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Pierce like swords. And I can't think of a better word to describe all of us as a culture than that word when it comes to our words. Reckless. We're just reckless. Maybe another word, stupid. <laughs> but, but, but reckless at times. And all of you sit here in this room right now with fresh wounds and old scars from where somebody just stabbed you. Man, they stabbed you with their words. This past week, I took to what my mom calls the Facebook, and I put out a question to people on there, and the question was this. I said, what are some life-taking words that wounded you in some way, either recently or years ago? I got just blown away with responses. I can't share all of them. But these are some things that people said that were said to them. Just listen to these. One person said, no one will ever want to be with you. That was the worst performance I've seen in 25 years of teaching. You're just not smart enough. You're damaged goods. If we weren't sisters, I'd never know you because you're not someone I'd really want to be friends with. You and your brother were just in the way of me living my life. You lost the game for us tonight, man. An ex-husband said this to his wife. You don't matter to me. You could die tomorrow and I wouldn't care. I'm telling you, the list goes on and on. It was gut-wrenching to read these because they're real. And most of us experience those types of words, and you know they have the power to bring death. But remember, Proverbs 18, 21. Words can kill. Words can also give life. They can be poison, but they can also be fruit. And you're going to choose. You and I, we get to choose. We can choose to instead speak words of life over people. And so the second thing I want you to get this morning is this. And that is if you think something good, say it. Say it by all means. Proverbs 15.4 says, kind words heal and they help. You know, I read that verse and I think that every one of us in this room, we want to live that out. I think we do. I don't think we're bad people. I think we go, man, I, that's what I want to be about. That's what I want to do as a follower of Christ. But let's just get honest. Life happens. You know, we get in that vice and that pressure cooker and, and we get stressed and people hurt us and people say unfair things and before we know it, we're offended and boom! So I want to try to make this person this morning while we're hanging out. Right now, I want you to think of just one significant relationship you have. Just one person, a relationship you have that you value in some way. That could be your spouse. Uh, it could be your kids, maybe a best friend. Could be a, a colleague or a coworker, but I want you to think about that person. And if you can think of one person and a relationship that you value, then two things I'm going to tell you. Number one, this message is incredibly relevant for you, and number two, it's crucial <laughs> because relationships are only built and strengthened by encouragement. We've got to constantly be reminded from other people that we matter. I've always said it this way: encouragement is the oxygen of relationships. It really is. Now that I'm almost 47, the way that I pack for like a weekend trip now is way different than how I pack for a trip in my early 20s. <laughs> when my wife and I were first married, if we did a spontaneous, hey, let's go away this weekend, I literally would grab a Kroger bag, throw on a toothbrush, shirt, pair of shorts, boom, we're out the door, let's rock. This is what I have to navigate now for a weekend trip. <laughs> it's not funny. 
These are just my vitamins and stuff. I got my, I got, okay, I got my GNC Mega Men's. I got my fish oil. I got my presser vision for my eyes because glaucoma runs in my family. I'm trying to preserve my vision. I got Zantac. I got my nasal spray, uh, you know, some vitamin D, daily aspirin. Yeah, there's Miralax on there because when you travel, things get a little, you know, locked up at times. So let's be real. You know, so I got I to gotta get these things because as I get older, there's some vitamins and some things my body needs I just can't manufacture for myself. And so instead, i got to reach and take them from the outside. And the same thing is true in our relationships. You and I can't muster up encouragement for ourselves. We can't will ourselves to that. And so we got to be able to get it from other people, from the outside. And then we got to give it back to them. That's how encouragement works. It's truly the oxygen of relationships. And that's why Scripture says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, encourage each other. Give each other strength. And I want you to focus on that word strength. That's what encouragement does. It builds, it sustains, it holds, it it grows. That's the power of life-giving words. Because words matter. Those same people that answered that first question on Facebook responded to another question that I also asked. And the question uh, was this. What are some words that have brought life to you over the years? And I want you to listen to some of the responses of things that were said to them. One person said it was when somebody said to them, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. You're my favorite teacher. I'm praying for you. Kids, doesn't your mom look beautiful tonight? Good night, princess. You're a great mom. Whoever marries you will be one lucky man. Buddy, you're such a hard worker. And the list went on and on and on. And I pray this morning that as you sit here that you all have experienced some of that in your life. And this is how I'd phrase it on the screen. What I mean is that at the right time, the right person said the right thing and life came to you. There's nothing like that. When you're on the journey and the right thing at the right time by the right person is said to you. And it just, it brings life. But we also get to do that for other people. Words can do that. And man, I know they've done it for me. My dad is going on three weeks in the hospital. Uh, he is declining from dementia. It's been a, a rough season these last couple years. And uh, yesterday we had to sit and tell them he's not going to be coming home ever. And uh, we're going to have to put him in a nursing home next week. It's been, it's been hard. Uh, but this journey with him has made me kind of start reflecting on some things about my dad. I love my dad. And my dad is wired very different than me if you've ever met him. He speaks about eight words a day <laughs> and uh, is a pretty intense, not emotional guy, driven leader, hard worker. And um, the other day I came upon something he gave me when I graduated uh, with my master's in educational leadership from Xavier University years ago. And it was on a little piece of stationery, just said AEC, Arnold E. Cadell. And he never wrote in cursive, scratched about three sentences in his print. But this is what it said. It said, Chad, congrats on becoming the first person in our family to receive a graduate degree. Love you and celebrate you today. And then he ended it with this. He said, I'm more proud of who you are than what you do. I'm more proud of who you are than what you do. And I'll tell you something right now. My dad could leave me $17 trillion. I could care less. Nothing will ever rival the value of that note. And those words from him, because words matter. And so 
the question is, guys, what do we do with this? We don't come here on a Sunday morning to check a box and go, tell some funny stories. The coffee's yummy. Here we go. Who day? And like, you know, come back next week. Like, we want to leave here and, and actually try to live this out, right? So I want to try to help us apply that today. When you came in, you received a tongue depressor. Take that out and you're like, what in the world like, is going on here? Calm down. Take that out and hold that in your hand for a moment. And as you hold it in your hand, I want us together to read again James 3.10 together, if we can put that up on the screen. Read this with me. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. One more time. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I want you to take that tongue depressor for a moment and think about the struggle. In a moment, we're going to leave this room where we've been singing songs of praise and worship and praying with our lips, and those same lips are going to get in the car and say something incredibly sarcastic that tears down our spouse. It's going to happen. We're going to later on tonight, when we're stressed trying to get ready for the week, we're going to go all postal on our kid. When they really aren't anything, it's just we're stressed. Tomorrow we're going to be so tempted to kind of cozy up to those people at work and get in on the drama of who we're talking about and letting the gossip fly. And so I want you to think about right now, what is one way that the enemy is allowing you to use your words to damage people? And just write it on the, that depressor. Is it, is it gossip? Is it slander? Harsh words? Maybe it's just the absence of encouragement, period. Maybe it's pride. You've wounded somebody, they've wounded you, and you're like, I'll go to my death. And I'm not, it's, it's your move, not mine. I'm cool with that. Cool if we never heal. Then I want you to flip it over. And on the other side, I want you to think of one person, just one person you could bless this week with your words. Seems like a really small thing, but by those responses, it tells me we could give somebody a very, what seems like a small gift that could keep giving to them for a lifetime. Who is that? Maybe there is a child whose soul you could fuel up this week. Maybe there's a spouse whose week you could make. Maybe there's a colleague whose confidence you could begin to build. Write their name down there. Like, do it. <laughs> Everybody's like, no, you can take a moment and do it. Don't stare at me. I can't do it for you. And as you're doing that, I want you to picture this with me. I want you to imagine right outside your front door is this huge stack of money. $100 bills. Totals up to be over a million dollars. Every day you blow out the door for work. You back out of the driveway. You see it. There it is. And on this one particular morning, you're backing out of the driveway, and as you do, you see that big, open, gnarly space in your front yard, and you're thinking, man, I wish we could just do something with that, have some landscaping, put in some shrubs, some trees, maybe a nice fountain, a little rock path, but man, we just, that's crazy expensive. We can't afford that. You pull on out, you go down a few more blocks, and as you're driving, you pass your favorite coffee shop, and you're like, man, it's been one of those mornings. I would so love one of those lot of money mochas right now. Big old glass of overpriced liquid, but man, I can't, it's, I, it, we can't afford that. That stuff's crazy expensive. Kids are screaming, you got them all piled into your Camry, you know, and you get to the light and you pull over and there's a guy in a big shiny Suburban. <laughs> you 
like, man, I'd love to have that. Think about the room and the space when we go on trips, but uh, uh, we, we can't afford that. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. Silly, right? Yet that's what you and I do every day in our daily lives. We're sitting our big rear ends on a wealth of words. We've got a wealth within our words. It's just waiting to be spent on people that Christ died for and that he values. A wealth within our words is waiting to be deposited into the lives of people. And so First Church this week, as you go out of this place to where you live and to where you work and to where you play, I want to challenge you with three words. And it's this as you go. Make it rain. <laughs> Make it rain, baby. Make it rain. Let's pray. God, many of us sit here right now convicted by the reality of our bad breath. We desperately need a spiritual mouthwash and a rinse. But even more than that, man, we need some open heart surgery. God, thank you that the God that we worship with our lips is the same God who can forgive us for the misuse of our lips. You're the same God who can cleanse our hearts and fill them again with good things. We invite you right now to just walk the acreage of our hearts. And as you do, until the soil, pull some weeds, rip out the dead stuff so that new things and new normals can come to life. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, I want you to hear the words of Luke 6, 45. It says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you don't get anything else this weekend, get this truth. That is that there will never be a change of words until there's a change of heart. There just won't. We can't will ourselves to that. We're not that good. There will never be a change of words until there's a change of heart. So we have to look at our heart before God this morning and go, you know what, maybe there's some spiritual heart disease going on. Maybe there's some spiritual blockages, some spiritual plaque buildup going on in there. We know that in the heart is where the why really lies. The why of why we're critical, that's where it really is. And so as we prepare for a time of encounter in a moment, invitation, I want you to just think about your heart for a moment your why when you get down to the heart issue. It's different for all of us. For you, maybe you're someone who has just been incredibly hurt. You are so hurt. And so every day you live out that old adage, it's really true, that hurt people hurt people. Maybe you wrestle down deep with this need to just feel significant. You want people to look at your life and feel like you matter and you crave significance and so you'll you'll say just about anything just to get a little bit of the taste of it and then when there's insignificance we wrestle with that fosters this deep embedded insecurity and jealousy we get frustrated over people who have things we don't have can do things we can't do and so instead of celebrating them we just rip them down to elevate ourselves you know it's really crazy sometimes we criticize people for the same things we struggle with Maybe your heart is a product of environment. You grew up in a home that was just critical. That's all you know. 
and the people you hang out with are the same way, and, and that's tough. But today that can change when you come to Christ and say, would you come into my life? Jesus, I want you to come right now and make my heart your home. I don't want to just check a box and attend church. I don't want to play religious games. I need you. God, change all this, but first you've got to change my heart. Lord, would you come in here and make this your apartment? Come in and go all Chip and Joanna Gaines off in here, man. Rip out the carpet, extreme makeover, throw on some paint, rearrange the furniture. Whatever you need to do, Lord, make my heart your home today. You can come. I'll be down front here with Tommy. We'd love to put our arms around you and, and lead you and pray to receive Christ in your life. We have towels and clothes and baptize you today. The invitation should be a time of movement and activity where we're responding to what God says. It's not a time where we sit back and watch and wait for lunch. Or maybe you sit here and you're on the wounded side of words. And your struggle in this season is to just be able to not live with such bitterness. And today you go, I would just love to leave here and walk with healing and to walk in freedom. Today, come to this altar. Let us pray for you and encourage you. Whatever you need to do is Garrett and the team lead us. Let's respond to God. Let's not leave this here. And let's see what God wants to do in our midst this morning.